You are listening to the Flash F1 podcast with Gil, Mark and Seth. Welcome, everybody, to Flash F1. I'm Gil, along with my co-hosts, Mark and Steph. Again, we're at the Silverstone Circuit in Great Britain. This time around, there's still no bangers in MASH, and definitely no bangers in Crash from anyone on this race. Mark? Uh, you know what? There may not have been any... <laughs> you said bangers in Crash. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, there may not have been any crashes, but there was an absolute banger of a race. Now, it was a weekend of, quite frankly, misery for Mercedes, but it was a weekend of absolute joy for the Red Bull team who managed to both win the race and take two top five finishes. Uh, as you mentioned, it was the 70th anniversary Grand Prix. It was a, a very special weekend, really reflecting back on the fact that for those of you that don't know, the very first Formula One race in history actually took place at Silverstone in 1950. It was a fundamentally different track but it was absolutely the birthplace of Formula One. And for so many reasons, Silverstone, the UK, England, is very much a a special place on the Formula One calendar. And whenever there's been hints at the past about perhaps Silverstone not retaining its place on the calendar, it's, it's almost laughable in so many ways. One, it makes for one of the absolute best races on the calendar. It's ultra fast, it's ultra quick. There are a multitude of places for overtaking. But the track, both in its present configuration and both historically, is incredibly important to Formula One. F1, like I said, was born at Silverstone in 1950. Since the sport's inception, and and this was kind of interesting, we saw a couple of stats that were presented at the beginning of the broadcast on Sky, but a couple of things that I thought was pretty interesting. The sport's seen 775 drivers slip into a Formula One car, 170 different constructors, 39 different nationalities have been represented. We've had 63 different drivers lead the championship at any given point and 34 different world champions. The sport's magical. Silverstone is magical. We had a great race weekend all in all, and we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. But Steph, you know, leading up to the race weekend, there was this constant storyline and this constant backdrop of all things Racing Point. And it was kind of like it was last weekend leading into the British Grand Prix. Unfortunately, it resulted in a pretty poor race weekend, despite some good highlights in in pre-practice and qualifying. But this week, it was on a whole different level of noise, on drama, of storylines. Can, can you take a couple of minutes to kind of walk us through the backdrop that is Racing Point? Because I think a lot of our listeners are probably seeing the tweets, they're seeing the news stories, they're hearing about it on YouTube. But maybe could you provide a bit of a backdrop just in terms of what's going on with Racing Point at this point? Yes, of course. So as we know, for the last couple of races, Renault have been protesting specifically the brake ducts on the Racing Point car, and that definitely came to blows this week. So the FIA upheld the protest, and it was deemed that the brake ducts were breaking the sporting regulations, and so Racing Point have now been given a fine of €400,000, and they have been deducted 15 points off of their constructor's total so far so not a great start to the weekend for Racing Point as we also saw Sergio Perez tested positive again for coronavirus so we had to have Nico Hulkenberg step back in again but that was really really great to see and on track we had a much better weekend for the Racing Point drivers with a sixth and a seventh place finish so definitely a better weekend they were however the team is however be Other teams, however, are protesting the ruling. Ferrari, Williams, McLaren and Renault have all protested the ruling that the FIA gave Racing Point. And so we're now waiting to find out if the FIA FIA will uphold their ruling on breaches in the sporting regulations or if something more will come of it, if Racing Point will have a heftier fine. But we'll have to wait and see what the FIA deems appropriate for them. 
So, Steph, did you happen to catch the Sky Sport interview with uh, Toto Wolf uh, being the mediator for all these other teams? And he mentioned something regarding a, a godfathered rule so uh, that the FIA is looking into. Did you happen to catch that? I didn't catch the full interview, but I definitely saw Toto answering the questions and it was actually really interesting to see because he was very very defensive of the racing point and it makes you wonder if something's going on because we have had rumors recently that Toto might be leaving Mercedes and going to Aston Martin we know he has shares in Aston Martin so it's a bit controversial and I'm excited to see what will come of that yeah and Toto is is probably not and, and it's funny that you use the term um, kind of mediating Gil, because the reality is Toto's probably not the right person to be doing that for a couple of reasons. Because one, to your point, he he has a financial incentive. He has some financial backing of that team. But furthermore, he's running the Mercedes team. And, and I think so much of this controversy is tied up in the fact that there are these really intimate linkages between Racing Point and Mercedes. They're not only a customer team because they're buying their engine, they have access to their wind tunnel. They're obviously sharing CAD diagrams. Um, there's obviously a, a fairly close tie up there. But I, I think one of the things that kind of caught me caught me by surprise here is it's not surprising Ferrari's complaining and protesting. It's maybe not surprising that that some of these other teams are. But for me, what really caught me off guard is that Williams is also a Mercedes customer team. So my, 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 my assumption was that, hey, they would have kind of stayed quiet, fallen in line. And McLaren, they may be running a Renault power unit now, but they're going to be part of that Mercedes family next year as well. So I was really caught off guard that both McLaren and Williams were protesting the conclusion of the FIA investigation into the brake ducts. So for me, like, I, I always kind of assumed that these teams would conform to their families. And if you guys remember earlier this year when the FIA came out and they talked pretty elusively about their findings and their secretive agreement with for, with the Ferrari team on their power unit, um, both Haas and Alfa Romeo were very, very, very quiet. And while all the other teams were screaming murder about that outcome, those two teams fell completely in line. So I was a little bit surprised that Williams and the future Mercedes customer team McLaren were so vocal about the findings. And, and I also found it a, a little, and I know I tweeted about this and I messaged you guys about it, but I also found it super galling that Ferrari is being so vocal given given the circumstances around the findings of their power unit last year and into this year itself. But yeah, you're you're right. Total obviously is tied to the team financially, but there's also these ongoing rumors about him potentially leading the team, right? When it gets rebranded as Aston Martin. Any other thoughts? Any other thoughts on the the racing point storyline? Steph, you you talked a little bit as well about Sergio Perez. There was a belief at some point this week, there was a belief or a sense that he could have been in the car. That ultimately didn't happen. Uh, he had tested positive again this week. Had he not tested positive, was there a shot that he was going to be in the car? And, and if so, from your perspective, would that have been the right thing, given the safety and the well-being of everyone else in the paddock? Yeah, there was definitely the opportunity for him to be back in the car. At the end of the day, he... the public health england guidelines made him quarantine for seven days and then after his seven day quarantine was up he ended up taking another test for coronavirus and it came back positive again now as per the public health england guidelines he's now having to quarantine for 10 days if hypothetically his test had come back negative there would have been nothing preventing him from from coming back into the paddock from driving the car Hulkenberg wouldn't have been in that car because obviously it's Perez's seat. So yeah, it was really interesting, but now it's calling into question whether he will actually be able to race in Barcelona because the guidelines have been changed from seven days to 10 days. So now he's having to quarantine for 10 days as per the UK guidelines. And so it's definitely calling into question whether he will be able to travel to Barcelona, let alone race. So yeah. Steph, when did that yeah, that's going to be oh, interesting. Sorry, Gil, oh, go sorry. ahead. No, no, I just thought it interesting based on when his test was yeah. uh, taken that he might be right on the cusp of the race. So that 10 days would probably be just right 
right at the at the end or the start of Barcelona. But if he has to travel and it's within that ten days, totally. I'm, I don't know if he's going to be able to go to Spain. Yeah, Steph. When was the when was the positive test? Was it the Wednesday before the race? Was it last Wednesday? Yes. So his positive test was last Wednesday. That was the one that was inconclusive by the FIA standards, but basically positive by the NHS standards. So that was on Wednesday. He quarantined then up until Wednesday, and then took another test and so from the 6th of august that's when his 10 day quarantine period has now started again so that doesn't finish until the 15th of august which is after barcelona but if he tests negative for coronavirus beforehand then there should be no issue with him traveling to spain or partaking in that race. so in theory because that, that sounds to me problematic and and maybe racing point feels differently but it seems very problematic that somebody could be challenging during quarantine negative test or not like that kind of defeats the point of of being in quarantine i i got the sense as well that at least in the uk listening to some of the other podcasts there was a little bit of backlash to racing points urgency to getting him back in the seat guys did did you think it was a, a smart move for Racing Point to try and rush him back, knowing that Nico was there and ready to go? Or do you think they should have relaxed and just put put all the energy into preparing Nico for that seat? I think it was too soon for Racing Point to even consider having uh, Perez come back and just putting everybody else at risk. Uh, you know, we saw this past race what Nico Hulkenberg can do. And, you know, if we had that opportunity the, the week before during that race when he had that issue with his uh, starting his vehicle, you know, uh, replacing or temporarily uh, replacing um, Perez with Hulkenberg, there's no loss to the team, right? They're, they've got a driver. They've got a driver who can perform well in the car. And, you know, just keeping everybody safe, keeping uh, Perez out uh, for them should be the way to go. Steph, your thoughts, should should Racing Point have gone all in on getting Nico ready for the seat? Because I have to assume it, w- it would have been a tough position for Nico as well. He's he's at Silverstone. He's now got his helmet. Um, he's He's been seat or he's been fitted for a race seat, but he probably would have spent the first couple of days of this week uncertain as to whether he was going to be driving or not. Uh, your thoughts, should Racing Point have put more energy and been a little bit clearer about the position with Nico coming out of the previous weekend? Or were they right to do everything they could to get their core number one driver into that seat for this race weekend? Oh, well, first and foremost, I completely agree with Gil. I think that they tried to get him in the seat way too soon before Perez was physically up to it as well, because we know he's obviously got coronavirus, so he's not in his peak physical condition. So I think Hulk should always have been in that car this weekend. However, when you look at it from a team perspective, Perez is their main driver Perez is the glue that holds the team together because we saw how terrible the the team was last week so from a team perspective it makes sense to me that they'd want to get him back in the car but and if he were to test negative I don't see the issue with putting him back in the car as long as he was completely safe there was no risk for any of the other team members because obviously you want as much consistency in a team as you can possibly get but at the end of the day, they had Hulk there ready to go. And I think it worked perfectly in the end. Racing Point had a much better weekend this this weekend than they did last weekend. And who knows, it might be that Hulk is back in Barcelona as well. And hopefully they'll be able to have a better weekend again. And Hulkenberg has to also understand his position right now. Um, he's not the main driver. He uh, he's, he's brought in as the sub or the, the replacement driver, the fill-in driver. Uh, for Perez. So he's got to understand his position that, you know, this is his role. Like when something happens, he comes in and, but if they're focusing or putting their chips on Perez, then he's got to, you know, take a step back or understand or can't be heartbroken that the team is putting their chips uh, on Perez to come back rather than him. Uh, but uh, kudos to, to Hulkenberg uh, doing his, his part or, or uh, you know, making, making his money. So uh, good on him. It's really an interesting situation, right? Because we went into this season and it was pretty clear who the two drivers were going to be for Racing Point. It's Lance Stroll. He's the son of Lawrence Stroll, who leads the consortium that owns the Racing Point team. We knew that seat was filled and would be for the foreseeable future. Our our good friend Sergio Perez, he's got a fresh three-year contract. And I I think the sense was that this guy's going to be here for a while. But really, over the course of maybe the last five or six weeks, we began to hear all the news and speculation about the fact that possibly Lawrence Stroll was courting 
Sebastian Vettel. And we don't know for certain whether any of this is accurate, but we've seen enough tweets and we've seen enough noise coming out of the Sergio Perez camp that it looks like that's possibly a very real thing. And of course, Sergio is now desperately seeking another seat for next year. And again, none of this is official. Um, it's still all just rumor and speculation at this point. But I, I think, Steph, Gill, if you spend any time on Reddit or Twitter or you follow the Formula One blogosphere, I, I think it's pretty clear that Racing Point is looking to bring Sebastian Vettel into the camp next year. And that puts Sergio Perez in a really difficult position because he's now hunting for a ride for next year potentially. And I think the reality is if he misses a race, if he misses two races, and now Steph, to your point, if he misses the third race in Spain and Barcelona, that puts him in a really challenging position because he's missing out on qualifying opportunities. He's missing out on the chance of putting a really, really competitive car on, on a podium. It puts him in a really, really, really difficult position. And and I think you're right at this point. If you guys had to put your money on whether he's going to appear in Barcelona this weekend, Gil, do you think there's any chance he's going to be in that seat? Steph, you're very close to this being in the UK and just a couple of hours away from Silverstone. Do you think we're going to see Nico this weekend or do you think we're going to see Sergio? I think we're going to see Sergio. You think we're going to see Sergio, hey? Yeah, I think it's going to be right on the cusp. I think, again, he's their main driver. I think they're going to just focus on trying to get him better and back and uh, to see what um, what he can do uh, going forward. Cool. Steph, Steph, what do you think? I'm going to disagree. I do think we're going to see Nico back in the car just because if Perez tests positive again at any point during the week, I mean, Friday, Thursday, Friday is quite r- close to the race weekend for him to be flying out and getting sorted. So if the team know what's good for them, they'll put Hulk back in that car again just so that they have a bit of stability for the weekend. But I wouldn't be surprised if Perez is back in the car because I think Racing Point are going to do everything that they possibly can to make sure that he tests pos- tests negative. Yeah. Let's hope he doesn't test positive again. <laughs> um, I think the team are going to do everything that they can, basically, to get him back in the car for Barcelona. And maybe to tie a bow on the entire Racing Point drama. So as, as we spoke to a couple of minutes ago, there's been this whole storyline about Sergio Perez and the fact that he tested positive for coronavirus because he had flown out of country to visit his mom and the team was greatly criticized for allowing him out of the bubble to do that and now we can see what the consequences are for a driver leaving the bubble and becoming infected and what it does to the team and fortunately the team was able to track down a reserve driver in Nico although I guess Nico is more of a higher driver than he is technically a reserve driver we've seen obviously the storylines around the fact that Renault had continued to protest the legality of the or the brake ducts on the Racing Point car, their complaints and their protests were ultimately successful. The team was fined 400,000 euro. Uh, They were deducted 15 points from the Constructors' Championship. Although, did you guys see that live interview on Sky Sports with the team principal of Racing Point when they they asked him about the 15-point deduction and what his response was? Yeah, I think he thought it was only 7.5 points deducted, but he didn't realize it was 7.5 for each car. It was was so awkward to watch that because they're like, so you've been been fined 400,000 euro and 15 points. He's like, no, 7.5. They're like, nope, I read it as 15, (laughs) 7.5 per car. He's like, oh, that's not good. I should look into this. (laughs) <laughs> it, it was a, 15 points two cars it was it was alarming it was like watching somebody be broken up with on live tv the you could see the poor guy's heart break it was it was uh it was tough um and then finally to kind of put a bow on this uh obviously i i think lawrence stroll uh, he leads the consortium that owns the racing point slash aston martin team he's been incredibly incredibly vocal publicly about his thoughts in terms of the teams kind of turning against Racing Point. He made some comments on the weekend, and I quote, uh, I do not often speak publicly. However, I am extremely angry at any suggestion that we have been underhanded or have cheated, particularly those comments coming from our competitors. And then he goes on to put Renault, McLaren, Ferrari, and Williams on blast. So those teams are protesting against Racing Point, and Lawrence Stroll is very, very, very verbally kind of pushing back against those 
against the suggestions that they have outrightly been engineering a flawed and cheated car. So that said, you know, kind of this kind of this kind of lays the groundwork going into the race weekend. Uh, a couple of things that we knew was going to be a factor was obviously coming out of last weekend. We, we'd seen some issues with tire delamination and tire overheating, particularly on the Mercedes cars, both of which saw tire failures towards the end of the lap on that front left tire. The temperature again this weekend, Steph, correct me if I'm wrong, but it looked like it was something of a scorcher at Silverstone. Air temperature 25 degrees, track temperature pushing 45 degrees. Hot weekend in the UK once again. So I think we're going to be looking at another scorcher in Barcelona as well. It was definitely really hot in Silverstone, really hot in the UK this week. So yeah, it looks like the same sort of temperatures are going to be in Barcelona this weekend which could definitely play into red bull's hands as we know mercedes were obviously struggling with the overheating issue and the temperatures so yeah so maybe then share your thoughts on this race weekend and and gil we'll get yours as well but um obviously it was a it was an interesting race weekend starting with free practice qualifying was was exciting the race week was good the race itself was really really good and, and ultimately strategy played a big part in the outcome but your kind of your initial thoughts on the race entertaining loved it i thought it was really really great what i will say is red bull won the race on saturday and not on sunday they don't have a car to match mercedes on pace alone but i think the track conditions were definitely more suited to their car this week the strategist the strategists did an incredible job with the strategy for Max and Alex on the Sunday. And I think Max and Alex qualifying on the hard tyres was definitely the factor that put them ahead of the Mercedes on the Sunday. Gil, your thoughts on the race weekend? Were were you entertained? Did you enjoy qualifying? I, I Qualifying was great. Uh, I enjoyed qualifying. You know, you had uh, Mercedes... Uh, right in there, but then the the impressive part was was Hulkenberg, uh, you know, in in P three. Uh, for me, the race wasn't that exciting from a driver battle perspective. The excitement was pretty much more about, you know, the strategy and you know the longevity of the tires. So that was pretty much the excitement of the of the race for me. Are they going to last? Are they going to uh, delaminate again? Uh, but from a from a, a driver battle, uh, there wasn't really all too much. You know, you got Albon and Raikkonen, you know, touching tires and, you know, a couple here and there. But nothing in terms of a, a really exciting overtaker battle. Uh, pretty much just the excitement of are these tires going to, you know, take take these drivers all the way to the end. Just kind of like the, the crazy. Well, you know, before we talk too much uh, about the race, and and I think I think you're both right that obviously strategy was a big part of this race weekend. I, I think we were all a little bit disappointed last weekend that Racing Point wasn't able to get Nico onto the grid. Uh, there was all that. Uh, there's all the storylines about for whatever reason Racing Point was having some mechanical, some technical, um, some engine related issues and they weren't able to start Nico's car and I think we were all a little bit heartbroken because he looked really really good in free practice especially and I think all of us were excited to see what he could do with a really capable car like the Racing Point car this weekend he he totally had redemption and to qualify third I thought was a phenomenal phenomenal result Steph what was your what was your reaction when he crossed the line and qualified third in Q3? Oh, I was absolutely buzzing. I was so, so happy for him. I was literally jumping up and down. It's like he'd won the race. It was honestly, it was not okay how excited I was. But I was, I think I screamed when he crossed the line and then Verstappen was on a lap behind him. And I think I screamed when he crossed the line and didn't manage to... Uh, do a faster lap and basically beat Hulk to P3. So that was really exciting. I was completely on the edge of my seat as well because that Q3 session, I think any of the cars could have ended up anywhere. I think we knew it was going to be a a Mercedes 1-2, but the rest of the cars, I think they were all looking equally as quick as each other. I really didn't know who was going to end up where, but I think Nico Hulkenberg did a really amazing job to end up P3, and it was a little bit embarrassing for Lance Stroll in P6 because he was just out qualified by a teammate who's not even a full-time driver. Yeah, and I think Steph, you and I have talked about this earlier in the week, or we uh, we chatted on um, about this, where it just goes to show what Hulkenberg can do competitively in the right car. And then also for Racing Point, it shows what the car can do with the right driver. So then you're looking at Stroll and you'll be like, hey, buddy, look at this guy just jumped in this car 
and he's doing so well and you're the son of the owner and you know you're kind of a little bit behind so you know do we toss stroll and put perez and and hulkenberg please, in? please. <laughs> <laughs> that would be better if you go to f1 twitter yes or f1 reddit that is the response is get rid of stroll and replace him with an established driver but but you're right like you look at Valtteri Bottas, so Valtteri Bottas qualifies on pole, but he and Hamilton are almost a second clear of the rest of the field when it comes to qualifying. But then if you look through qualifiers 3 through 10, they all qualify within about six-tenths of a second. So it was really, really, really tight after the, the first two spots. But you know, my, my, my gut reaction was I was very, very happy for Nico, partly because I thought it was a great storyline and I was happy for him not having a full-time ride this year. I thought it was exciting to see what this car is truly capable of. And to be fair, we've, we've had the racing points qualify in the second row already this year, but I thought it was really great storyline for Nico and there was a lot of redemption, but I was really frustrated about Lance Stroll qualifying sixth. And, and you both make such a great point. Like, this is a guy who's been driving that car for a year and a half. He's getting all the reps in the world. He was part of the development. He's in the simulator. The car was built for him. And for Nico to come out and out-qualify him by three-tenths of a second, it's not it's not acceptable if you're, if you're Lance Stroll or his racing engineer at this point. So qualifying was good. The car that Hulkenberg's driving is made for Perez, not Absolutely. Hulkenberg. So he's in a car that's totally not adapted for him. So really, really well done on his I, part. I completely agree. And and I think you have to wonder, will there be a racing seat available for Hulkenberg next year? And and I don't necessarily know where that would be, but Steph, do you think there's a, a legit opportunity for him to regain a seat in Formula One next year? I really want to say yes, but I'm really not sure because I don't want to see Nico Hulkenberg in a car at the back of the grid. And I think his only viable option might be a Haas. And I don't want to see him in a house. So I don't know if I'd rather not see him on the grid at all. I was actually talking about this this week. And I think we need another team on the grid. I like The more agree. I think about it, <laughs> I need another one or two teams for the amount of talent that we've got at the minute. Or we just need to get rid of some of the drivers that I don't think are that good. Like Grosjean. He needs to go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Grosjean's going. He sucks. We've talked about him. I hate yep. him. We're, we're done with Grosjean. But you're, you're right. Like... I think the sport needs another team or two teams. I think the reality of that happening is pretty low. But uh, if you look at the current driver classification, I don't know that we're going to see Kimi back next year. I don't think I don't think there's any chance that Giovinazzi is coming back next year. We know Latifi's under contract for next year. We know Russell's under contract. And he's part of the Mercedes family. Kvyat, I don't know. Magnussen, I don't know. Grosjean, I don't know. I was just thinking about Kvyat because it looks like he's just taken a few more steps backwards in terms of his performance this season. A decent um, decent run a few seasons ago, but ever since uh, his his podium, he's been kind of not really showing his, his worth. So, yeah, no, Gasly is uh, definitely outperforming Kvyat at the minute. I don't think I can see Kvyat anywhere near the level that Gasly is on. 100%. If you look at the standings right now, Gasly 12 points to Kvyat's 2 uh, Kibia's performance this year, 12th, 10th, 12th, retirement, 10th, whereas Gasly, 7th, retirement, 7th, 11th. So Gasly definitely significantly outperforming Kibia, but I think Kibia, and I hate to use this term, but I think he, Magnussen, Raikkonen, uh, Grosjean, probably all on the hot seat. So I think there will definitely be an opportunity. But to your point, if Hulkenberg comes back, it's going to be with a Haas. It's going to be with an Alfa Romeo, and he's not going to be competing for uh, for Q3, let alone race wins. So that's a little unfortunate. But he's got he's to take a seat for his career. Yes, you, you may not want to see him in a, a lower-ranking team, but you know all eyes are on him now to because pe- people can see what he can do in that racing point car. So does he just kind of like wither away another season or does he get back into a car and then hopefully increase his opportunities for the following season? It's really interesting, actually, because there was a story that broke this morning from Ross Braun who wanted Nico Hulkenberg to be in the Mercedes alongside Nico Rosberg should Hamilton have decided to stay at McLaren. So that's just wow. broke this morning. So Hulkenberg could have been at Mercedes for the last six, seven years. That would have been an incredible turn in his career to have been in that, yeah. that car. So, And if, if I remember correctly, Hamilton came over to Mercedes in 2013. So he had one year with the V8 and then he's been there for the entire 
V6 yeah. turbo hybrid era. Wow, it's it's crazy to think that that could have been Nico Hulkenberg and Nico Rosberg side by side. I know. Interesting. Nico twins. So, so Gil, <laughs> you thought the race was was good, less on race craft and overtaking, but more on strategy. Steph, you oh definitely you spoke to you spoke to the fact that this race was won on Saturday. Maybe maybe elaborate on that for our listeners that may not know what you mean. Okay, so we had Verstappen qualify on the hard tires and the majority of the field qualify on the mediums, which were the softs from last week. So it's a pretty soft compound. And that's what we saw our pole laps on. So Hamilton and Bottas were uh, qualifying on the medium tires, whereas Red Bull opted for the hard so that they would be able to do a longer stint at the beginning of the race on Sunday. And I think that really played to their strengths because the tires were not going well for the Mercedes anyway. So they were already on the softer compounds. They were degrading like crazy. So it was not great to see. There was a lot of blisters and they had to come in a lot earlier than Verstappen. They were on a softer compound anyway, but I just think the Mercedes car was not doing well with the tires for the weekend. And yeah, lots of blistering and they, the car wasn't reacting as nicely to the tires as Verstappen was so he was really really great with his tire management and I think that's definitely what won in the race one of the the individuals that's gotten a lot of credit from the Red Bull side for this weekend was Hannah Schmidt and and if you're not familiar with Hannah Schmidt and I, and I don't think most people necessarily are but she's Red Bull's chief race strategist and she's been credited really with this race win because she built the plan for the weekend starting on Saturday to your point Steph with respect to qualifying on the hard tire uh, unlike Almost every other team on the grid, uh, Verstappen started on a hard tire, so he was able to have that that longer initial stint. Uh, this really catapulted them into the lead, and, and I think we also saw right at the beginning of the race as well that Max manages to jump a position. He gets Hulkenberg almost immediately, which was a, a little bit disappointing considering he was on a harder compound tire and he qualified behind them. But ultimately, you know, the, the strategy that Red Bull executed starting on Saturday, to your point, Max's phenomenal job managing those tires um, was, was amazing. He still had to overtake some cars to get this race win. But overall, all the credit to Red Bull and that team, they they maximized the conditions. We, we know and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but it was very, very hot, which doesn't necessarily play well with these tires. They were at Silverstone, which is a track that fast, powerful cars excel at. And, and everything on paper suggests that, hey, this could have been a weekend of dominance for Mercedes, but ultimately it wasn't for a number of different reasons. And and you both hinted this as well. One of the storylines last weekend was the fact that these, these super soft compound tires were delaminating in the heat. But we saw again this weekend that Mercedes, and they didn't have a tire failure, and perhaps that's because they both had to shift into these multiple stop strategies. But we also saw this weekend that the Mercedes cars were really struggling with the condition of their tires. And it's been not necessarily speculated, but really it's been reported that the Mercedes cars do an absolutely supreme draw job of creating downforce, especially in the corners. And the immense amount of downforce that these cars are producing is effectively overwhelming the tire cores, which is creating significant amounts of heat, which is offering a loss of support for traction, which is ultimately leading to the blistering. So really, in this case, it was it was a combination of things. It was the fact that it was hot. It was the fact that Pirelli brought ultra soft compound tires. And it was really just the fact that the downforce that the Mercedes cars produce is overwhelming the core of these tires. And the car tires are basically coming apart. And and Steph, you spoke to this as well. Like, if we thought it was hot last weekend and this weekend at Silverstone, we're in for a, a shocker in Barcelona where temperatures are expected to be significantly higher, both air temperature and track temperature. But ultimately, the, the race was, was entertaining. I, I thought there was some interesting stuff happening in the midfield. Max Verstappen takes the win, his first win of the season, and I thought... Even just a week ago, people were speculating as to whether Mercedes could possibly win every single race this season. That was me. That was you? <laughs> that was me. And, and I mean, the reality is, and, and again, it would have been a long shot, but Max could conceivably have won last week if they hadn't brought him in for that late tire change. He could be he could be carrying back-to-back -back race wins at this point. So all the credit to Max and his racecraft. Gil, any other thoughts well, for... or takeaways from the race? 
Yeah, um, no, just like just to give uh, Red Bull their their kudos, they they took away from last week's uh, race and they totally did a 180. The strategy was amazing, where they ended up putting you know Verstappen on the on the hard so he can increase his lead as everyone is pitting in earlier. Yeah. Where and and I called the two stop or multiple stop uh, or multiple pits this this race, but the thing that confused me was. 10, 10 or 11 laps left in the race, Mercedes brings in Hamilton and they put him back on the hard tires when they could have put him on the mediums. Yeah. And that, that medium would have lasted 18 laps and he only had 11 laps to go. So who knows how much more he would have caught up to Verstappen had they put him on uh, medium compound tires when on, on the last 11 laps because everybody else was like uh, Bottas and, and Verstappen um, were, uh, were still on the hards. So that that's the only thing that I was scratching my head about is why didn't they put him on the medium tires? Steph, late tire change for Hamilton. I, I, I think if you're watching the broadcast, they were they were discussing whether or not they might just run Hamilton to the end of the race on the tires that he was on. I, I think that would have been risky given that we'd seen the tire failures the race weekend before. But was that the right decision for Mercedes to put him onto that tire? Or would they have been better off putting him onto a medium and letting him rate track down the, the field as quickly as possible? Medium would have been a better option, I think. I think they did a terrible job with picking the hard tyres. I think they should have either let him go to the end or put him on the mediums. It would have been nice to see if he'd have actually made it to the end because I don't know if they would have blown up like last time. I mean, Leclerc managed to nurse his tyres, which were hards, all the way to the end, but his tyres were looking quite nice, like Max's were. So not blistered or anything like Hamilton's and Bottas's were so um maybe the Mercedes wouldn't have been able to take that tire to the end but I definitely think I agree with Gil I think they should have at least put him on the mediums to see if he could make it through the pack a little bit faster I think he lost a lot of time trying to get past Leclerc in third at the time so I think that's where he almost lost any hope of the win because he spent too long um fighting with Leclerc and then didn't have enough time to get past Bottas and then catch up to Max. Well, Hamilton was complaining on the radio or, or uh, yapping on the radio about his his tires. He was asking his, his crew or his team, hey, how are my tires? Look at the performance of my tires. What's Max on? Like, how is his tires doing? So he had some concerns about um, his tires. So if he's saying something and not the team, uh, you know, the team was monitoring his tires or saying, oh, it's just blistering, but there's no problems with the tires. Uh, when the driver is in the car and he's feeling that there's something he's showing a concern, I think it's probably best to bring him in. Definitely. To be fair, Hamilton always complains about his tires. I was literally just thinking <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> that that's, that's very much how his life works, right? He's like, he gets up, he has his Weedabix, he he drives his Mercedes to the track, he gets in the car and he complains about his tires. It's just part of his his routine. But but you're right. Like I, I was really hoping that they were going to let him run until the end. I, I just think the firestorm of criticism that Mercedes would have faced if that tire had come apart and they would have been forced to pit, but they bring him in on lap 41. He locks up on the entryway to the pit. He's lucky almost that he didn't get a penalty for exceeding the speed limit in in the, the pit lane, but they bring him in. And then to your point as well, he then immediately gets stuck behind Charles Leclerc. And I had thought, I had hoped that Charles was going to make room for him to get by. He ultimately doesn't. Hamilton wastes quite a bit of time and energy trying to get by him. And to your point, by that point, the race win is is gone because he's still got to get past Bottas. It was nice to see, though, and Gil, I think you probably would have been excited about this. Late in the race, the Mercedes team is pretty clear. I think they, they communicated on lap 48, hey, you guys are basically free to race. Just don't make any contact. Uh, so there was no team orders. Hamilton gets by Bottas, but by that point, it's too late to catch up to race leader Max Verstappen. Yeah, so with Verstappen, I was really impressed at how much he could keep up with the Mercedes on the hard tires when the Mercedes were on the medium tires yeah. midway through the race. And like he was he was like pacing or matching the Mercedes on a totally different compound tire. And he was saying at the end of the race that he didn't have any tire issues. Um, but what what do you guys think about earlier on in the race when Red Bull uh, was giving uh, Max some team orders to back off and and uh, you know nurse his tires? I loved it. gave me a great team. It gave us a great team radio where Max is like, "I'm not going to back off and drive like a grandma." So I was loving that that Verstappen wasn't going to 
pay attention to what they're saying. I mean, he was right. I think if he'd have backed off the Mercedes, I don't think it would have been the right thing to do because he was definitely catching up to Lewis Hamilton and ended up in DRS range of him before he decided to pit. So I think he did the right thing. And at the end of the day, he got the win. So um, yeah. you can't really fault totally his performance. Yeah, it makes, for, it makes for really, really good entertainment. It makes for really good television when the team is giving you an order and you're vocally opposing it. Uh, especially in a moment when everybody watching, everyone wanted to see him attack the Mercedes cars. And he he certainly had the pace. His tires were in better condition. He was within DRS range. And there's nothing more exciting than when you see that wing open up uh, and you see them beginning to attack. Like, I, I thought it was, I, th- I thought strategically it kind of made sense from a Red Bull perspective. But you, you also know that this is Max Verstappen and Ultimately, you're not going to be able to control his ambitions if he's got the opportunity to to attack and perhaps take the lead. But I definitely thought that was uh, a pretty exciting part of the race. And I'm glad it came so early because it really set the pace for the rest of the afternoon as well. Steph, anything anything else from the race? Uh, anything else that you, you saw that was particularly entertaining? I know you tweeted a little bit about racing points and this, I knew you were going to bring that yeah, up. Yeah, and, and I, I want your thoughts on this. So we're at a point during the race where they're running, I think, five, six. Maybe walk us through the, the, the late race. Yeah, so Nico Hulkenberg just seemingly pitted out of nowhere. I think it was like seven or eight laps before the end. So Alex Albon was catching up. I think he was in seventh at the time, catching up to the two racing points in fifth and sixth. So they pitted Nico Hulkenberg. At the time, I was like oh my gosh, you've absolutely screwed him over. You've just pitted him so that Stroll can come in first so that you can protect the ego of the full-time driver not being beat by the reserve driver. That was my initial thought and I was absolutely fuming with Racing Point. But they did tweet afterwards that uh, Hulkenberg was reporting severe vibrations and it was possible that he wouldn't have actually been able to make it to the end of the race. So that's why they pitted him so late. But... At the time, I was absolutely fuming. And it was really interesting as well because he went on soft tyres and he was the only car, only driver to go on soft tyres for the entirety of the race. No one started on the softs. No one pitted for softs at any point during the race. It was only Hulkenberg that was ever on the softs. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I was... So this was was lap 46. So we have six laps left. And and at this point, I'm thinking that the race classification is pretty much... It's still unclear who's going to win the race, but I, I'd assumed we were pretty much locked and loaded. But when Racing Point brought Nico in, I was so I was so pissed for very much the same reason. I'm, I'm like, there's no way an organization as big as this is is catering to the ego of Lance Stroll and and possibly his father. And to your point as well, they put him on the soft, and that was the first time this this race day, really this weekend, that that soft tire had made an appearance. But ultimately, it cost him a couple of places. But to your point as well, it, it comes out after the race that, look, he was facing very much the same experience that that uh, Bottas was facing the prior week where he was getting heavy vibration. He couldn't see clearly. And I, I think the team was basically in a position where, hey, you know, we could pit him and lose a couple of points or we can leave him out and possibly lose all of the points. And ultimately, if that was the experience that he was having, that was ultimately the right thing to do. So as a result, Lance slots one place ahead of him, but then almost immediately Alex Albon pips Lance Stroll for fifth place. And and once again, I'm frustrated because it feels like too often Lance Stroll is in a position where he can't hold a place late in a race. And, And obviously the Red Bull was in a in a much, much, much better pace at that point, but it was frustrating nonetheless. I was very, very upset to see Albon pass Lance Stroll late. Gil, anything else from a a race perspective? Any other takeaways or anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I know we talked a little bit earlier about the fact that early in the race, Sebastian Vettel had a spin unrelated to the team, unrelated to the car, but he went a a little hot into the corner. Uh, His back end broke loose. First corner. uh, And he spun, lost all of those positions. He was... Before the end of the first lap, he was in 20th position. Your thoughts on Vettel this weekend? Yeah, uh, not much. Like as, as soon as as soon as I saw him um, wipe out or go off track on the first corner, um, I pretty much lost interest in Vettel. He wasn't able to you know come up high on the on the on the mid pack there. He was just having struggles and troubles all all weekend. So um, yeah, I think you know what if if uh, teams are gonna start. Uh, 
complaining about people cheating or or whatnot, maybe just give uh, Ferrari back their car from yeah. the last season so they can <laughs> at least at least be competitive. Yeah. Transitioning from from his race weekend to uh, you know the talks of him potentially leaving and, and looking at another team. Uh, Vettel's a great driver. Um, I just think that uh, the the puzzle pieces aren't falling falling right for him, so um, it's probably best for him to just you know uh, cut his losses or for the team to cut their losses. On lap 29, Steph, so Sebastian, as we discussed, he spun out on the first lap. That was an unforced driver error. And you know what? For all the criticism of Ferrari over the past couple of months, you know, we, we continue to see Vettel make mistakes on track. You know, we saw it last year at Italy. We've seen it a couple of times this year. We saw it again at the beginning of this race, a, a completely unforced error. Uh, and, and this was a, a fundamental driver error. He's on the curve. He applies too much throttle. The back end breaks loose and he spins out. He's lucky he didn't make contact with Carlos Sainz or any of the other drivers. But that, again, for all the faults and criticism of Ferrari and the way that they've handled this relationship recently, that is a, a, a driver error. But midway through the race, we we get some radio between between Vettel and the team. And it's Vettel openly criticizing the team. And I quote, this is the gap that we didn't like. We spoke about it. I'll hang in there, but you know you messed up. So openly criticizing the the strategy and the decision-making of the team. You know, Gil alluded to the fact that this relationship isn't in a good place. We know it's not salvageable because we know he's not coming back because we know Carlos Sainz is going to that team next year. But can, can this relationship be salvaged in any meaningful way? Because it seems at this point, five races into the campaign, that it's pretty toxic. And I, I'm really struggling to see a world in which the two sides come together and have a, a collaborative, constructive, uh, comp I guess, finish to the season. Yeah, it's actually quite sad because I've grown to really like Vettel and you can just tell that he's not happy in this team right now. I don't think Ferrari has given him a decent enough car for him to even challenge for the points so he's fallen out of the points again this race and didn't pick up any points while his teammate is in fourth so I think it's definitely a combination of him not being not giving everything that he's got to it anymore and the team openly favoring Charles Leclerc I think that radio message that you're talking about I think it's because they put him on hards and then moved him onto the mediums for a longer stint than the hards so it's a little bit confusing to be fair anyway because why would the team do that that doesn't make sense as a strategy call in any way shape or form so you can see why Vettel would be angry and why he's confused and why he wants to blame the team at the end of the day I think it's a 50-50 fault I don't know who you can't blame anyone in particular for what's going on at the minute but yeah it's definitely a both of them Neither of them are working in harmony and I don't think you can actually get a decent race result when neither of you want to work together. Does it look like uh, like Vettel's giving up now, now that he knows that going forward it's 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 done? And then for the team, you know, do you feel that it's it, they're focusing more on Leclerc now, knowing that, okay, Vettel's done and it's like, let's not put enough, put any more effort into it? I don't want to say that Vettel's given up as such, but he just seems to be losing a lot of the motivation to do whatever to do the best he can like what reason does he have to bang out the results for the team what reason does he have to bang them out for himself he's got a terrible car that's not working for him on track and he's literally fighting with the back of the like he was fighting with Kimi Raikkonen in an alpha alphas the alpha car is horrific it's honestly it's <laughs> an awful car it's not it's not good in the race and it's not good in qualifying at least the Williams car is good in qualifying so <laughs> Yeah, I don't see why Vettel would want to try because Ferrari have literally given them, given Vettel no energy and no nice treatment whatsoever. Here, uh, here's a couple of stats, and and I robbed these from Reddit before the the podcast recording began, but this is kind of interesting. So Sebastian Vettel has only scored ten points through the first five races of the season. This is the lowest mass for a Ferrari driver since Felipe Massa in 2012 when he scored two points through five races. And again, I think there were some extenuating circumstances around that. So this, is, this isn't this is just a bad Sebastian Vettel start. This is a bad start, period. But if you look back at the last couple of seasons, through five races in 2017, 
Seb had 104 points versus Raikkonen at 49. In 2018, Sebastian had 78 versus Raikkonen at 48. In 2019, Sebastian had 64 versus Leclerc at 57. And this year, through five races, Leclerc has 45 points and Sebastian Vettel has 10 points. So we could actually continue to praise Leclerc for what he's been able to do. He's kind of managed to score a couple of podiums and he took a fourth place in this race. But ultimately, by Ferrari standards over the course of the last five years, he's significantly underperforming the benchmark that Sebastian Vettel had put out there through the first couple races. And 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 I think as well, and there's this is pretty well documented and it's it's well kind of well spoken on Reddit, but people keep speaking to the fact that Vettel's really struggling with this car, and and I think there's a lot of criticism of the car itself, and and I think what we've seen is that within the Ferrari factory, there's been a, a fundamental shift in philosophy, right? When when Vettel came over and he joined the team in 2015, he was the lead driver, and from an engineering perspective and from an aero design perspective, everything that Ferrari did was about building a car for the way that Sebastian Vettel drives. I think as it became clear in the offseason that this is going to be Leclerc's team, they stopped developing a car that catered to Seb's strengths as a driver, and they've really begun to develop a car that is more focused on Leclerc's driving style. And the two of them have very, very, very different driving style. So if Seb is now in a car that's fundamentally designed for Leclerc, it's not that the car is fundamentally flawed, it's just a different design that caters to a different style of driving ultimately. Uh, and and this is this is from a Reddit post I read, but it made a ton of sense for me. Uh, and I'll, I'll basically summarize, but you know, going into the 2020 season, Ferrari added a significant amount of aero components to a 2019 chassis. Uh, again, they were reacting to the fact that they had developed a, a new power unit. Um, but ultimately this 2020 car, as we know, has significantly less top and speed. It creates a lot of drag. And it's a chassis that's really adapted to the new motor, which is problematic. And Vettel, we we know, has always preferred a car that has a really, really, really planted rear end. And I think what we've seen from Leclerc is he likes to be able to rotate and he likes to get a little bit more movement out of that rear end. And I think... I think what we're seeing is Vettel really struggling to adapt to a car that wasn't designed for him at all. That this was a car that was designed for Leclerc. It was designed for the future. And then you combine that with the fact that it has a power unit that's just significantly underpowered versus what Leclerc has been, or sorry, what Vettel's been used to over the last four or five years. And you just have a recipe for a really, really, really tough year. Now, that doesn't excuse the fact that Sebastian continues to make driver errors on the track. But I, I think there's some documented evidence that this is really just Sebastian driving a car that was designed for a completely different driving yeah, style. Yeah, I'd also say that that's exactly what Red Bull has done. So that car is completely geared around Max's driving style. And that's what makes it so sad for Albon as well, because Albon is completely outperforming what you'd expect from a second driver at Red Bull, because that car is not designed for Albon's driving style, for Albon's driving needs at all. So I think... In, if you compare Albon to Vettel, Albon is doing a much better job of adapting to a car that doesn't work for him. And I just don't think Vettel has been able to do that. I've never been openly critical of Seb. And, and I think, again, my mindset was always very different, right? Like I'm I'm cheering openly for Lewis Hamilton. Sebastian Vettel is the principal threat to him winning a title. Now that Sebastian's not a threat to Hamilton, I, I'm a little bit more accommodating and I'm a little bit more friendly towards him. But having said that, I still think he as a driver is underperforming because you you make that great comparison with uh alexander albon right he still has four top 10 finishes this year he's still fifth in the driver uh, sixth in the, the driver standings but sebastian vettel is nowhere to be seen whatsoever whatsoever this yeah, year. yeah i think he's done for the season uh, i don't think we're going to see any more improvement from going forward if the team is not going to support him and if he feels that uh he he's on the outs well he's he is on the outs but uh, just, just no motivation, like uh, Steph said, for for Vettel to continue uh, doing what we're used to of him doing in a Steph, competitive car. Steph, do you think that this is like obviously it's not a salvageable relationship at this point, and and I don't think either side wants to salvage this. I I think obviously Sebastian is very hurt because I think he was 
really invested in being a part of that team in leading Ferrari into the future, or at least kind of doing it is kind of in a collaborative manner with Charles Leclerc. I think the way that the team went about recruiting a replacement driver was maybe, maybe not necessarily disrespectful because at the end of the day, it's still a business, but I, I don't think that he appreciated the way it went down. It, it is, I struggle to see how we finish the season like this. Is there is there a point possibly where Ferrari effectively buys out Sebastian Vettel and says, hey, you know what, sit out the rest of this year. We'd prefer to give some reps to a younger driver and start planning for the future. Like, I just, I don't know how we can continue this season if there's so much toxicity in that relationship. I honestly, I would want Vettel to get out. I just look at him, for example, when he had the engine failure on Friday practice when he was literally like, I don't care, do whatever you want with the car, um, let it burn. Um, I just want him to be out of that car because he literally looks so unhappy driving it. He looks so unhappy in the team environment. And I don't like it when my drivers are unhappy. Like, Albon is obviously really unhappy at the minute. I don't like it. And then I look at Pierre Gasly, who got out of the toxic environment, even though it was horrific to obviously have been demoted back to the AlvaTauri team. You look at him now and he's banging out some great results. He's happy off track. You can you can see it when you interview him. And that's that. I don't get that vibe from Seb and it makes me really, really sad to see. So I'd prefer it if he just literally got out of the Ferrari and didn't have to put up with their bull anymore. I know and we're, we're very much getting ahead of ourselves, but if... If Ferrari and Seb were to get together and say, hey, look, let's let's agree on a buyout for the rest of the season. You know, you take the rest of the year, you relax, spend some time with your family, uh, prepare for next year. We we think that possibly he may already have signed an, an agreement with, with Racing Point and it's just not been made public yet. So we think his, his future may be secure, but maybe honestly the best thing for both sides is for him to be out of that situation and out of that negativity because it's not good for him emotionally and it's really not good for the team because it doesn't the optically it looks really really poor on that team on how they manage their drivers and how they manage their driver relationships and it's also probably pretty tough for Leclerc because he's got to get these questions for the media constantly about Vettel and I just I can't imagine it's a good situation for anybody now I don't necessarily know who they're put in that seat for the rest of the year unless they recruit Raikkonen or bring Giovinazzi or somebody like that into that situation but I just don't think that this is sustainable five races into the season and it seems to be getting seems to be getting worse I think it doesn't matter if if Vettel stays uh in the car for this the rest of the season or if they put somebody else also you know on the other side of the coin the car is not a competitive car so regardless of who they put in that car is not going to do anything for the team yeah you're right like I I I I don't necessarily but you know what I don't even know if I necessarily agree with that right it's it's not going to be a title contending car but we've already seen Leclerc put it on the podium twice so there's if, if you if you have the right driver with the right driving style, um, it's not a complete disaster of a car. It's not going to contend for the championship. It's at best going to contend for third or fourth place in the constructor standings. But my sense is you need to get Seb out of there, both for his sake and for the sake of the Ferrari team. Guys, anything else on the race before we move on? No, I think we we capped the race pretty good, Steph. Yep, no, I'm all good. I think we both saw, I think we all saw that Bottas was obviously pretty miserable following the outcome of this race. I think he qualified on pole. I think in his head, he was expecting to contend for a race win. He not only doesn't win the race, but he finishes third. Uh, Following the performance last weekend when he DNF'd and lost all of those points that were available to him, I think it's pretty clear at this point, Steph, is his his, uh, contention for a driver's title over at this point? Do you know what? I was going to do a video about that. Um, is is Bottas's title hopes over? And I was going to do a video as well on whether Max Verstappen's title hopes were over after he DNF'd the first race, but he's literally second in the championship now, so I'm kind of glad I never made that video because he's clawed his way back and I think either of them could still take it. I mean, both of them have had a DNF and Lewis Hamilton hasn't, so they're already on the back foot. But if Hamilton were to have a DNF, they could both definitely close up the gap. I honestly think it's Hamilton's championship to lose. It depends how he's going to perform. I think he's got himself into a groove. I think he's on a roll. And I think it will take a lot for either Verstappen or Bottas to 
take the championship away but I'm glad that Verstappen has kind of come up as another contender in the championship it will make the races in the future a little bit more interesting when we know that we're fighting for championship points I think we we all recall 2016 and if not for an engine failure a power unit failure in Malaysia that that would have been a Hamilton title year so you're right it and it's close enough now that a single DNF on for Hamilton could really swing the title all the way around. Uh, Steph, maybe take us through the, the driver's championship standings right now and the constructor's championship standings, just so we can get a sense of where everyone's sitting currently. Hamilton is now 30 points ahead of Verstappen in second. Bottas, he was 30 points ahead of Hamilton was 30 points ahead of Bottas last week, but obviously due to the finishes, Verstappen and Bottas have now swapped places. Hamilton's sitting steady on 107 points. Leclerc has moved up into fourth in the championship, which is actually quite incredible considering how awful that car is. But I think Leclerc is also carrying Ferrari because Ferrari is third in the constructors. And I honestly don't know how they've pulled that off when Leclerc is the only driver getting any points, basically. Um, Norris has dropped down to fifth, but he's still doing a great job with, I think he finished ninth this week. And then Albon in sixth. And then we have our two racing point boys. So Stroll has now overtaken Perez in terms of points. Ricardo and Ocon finish the top 10 at the minute. So Renault is right behind racing point in the constructors as well. And yeah, it's looking really good. Red Bull are still quite a way off Mercedes, but they did manage to get more constructors points than Mercedes this weekend, just due to where their drivers finished as well. So um, they're actually catching up. And even though I think Mercedes is still going to take the constructors, it's nice to have another car that is kind of building up points and can kind of challenge them i mean i don't think they can but it looks like they might be able to in the coming races when you when you look at these constructor standings it's pretty clear why ferrari is so ferociously attacking racing points um and and really pushing the the protest of the outcome of the fia uh investigation because right now ferrari is sitting third as you mentioned with 55 points but if racing point hadn't had those points deducted they would be third right now with 56 points themselves and and obviously the the constructor standings aren't bragging rights right like prize money is ultimately divvied up amongst teams based on how they finish in the constructor standings. so every yeah. point equates potentially to hundreds of thousands or millions of euros at the end of the season of dollars yeah No, I, I think uh, these past two weeks, uh, the last two uh, races here in Great Britain, uh, is really going to put teams in a certain strategy, a certain perspective going into, into Barcelona. They're really going to have to focus on strategy and tire performance, um, You know, choosing the right tire, choosing the right compound, uh, the tire pressures. Um, all those are a factor in getting their, their cars to the uh, end of the race. You know, we, we, you, we know that the track temperature plays a big factor, the load on the tires uh, that they choose, and just stra strategy. Uh, Red Bull was a, a great example of that this past weekend, again, putting Verstappen on the hard so he can um, uh, increase his, his lead while everybody was pitting earlier. And uh, for his his car to match the Mercedes and take it all the way to the end, uh, really impressive. So uh, Mercedes is going to have to do some tweaking of their cars and, and the strategy in order to um, outperform uh, Red Bull if uh, Red Bull is going to be uh, doing the same sort of thing for uh, next weekend's race. But uh, I don't have much more than than uh, that in terms of uh, excited to see what the strategies and the and the tires are going to be for uh, the, the next week's race. Gil, it's early, but any predictions for Spain? Again, I'm going to say Mercedes in the top, somewhere in the top three. I'm not going to say one and two. Um, and then again with uh, Red Bull, Red Bull and possibly Racing Point um, in, I guess, in three and four or anywhere in the top five. 
Steph, you know, Spain kind of got a bit of a reprieve this season. Uh, it's been widely speculated they would be off the calendar for many, many years. They managed to agree to this this one-year deal. It's 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 a good track. Obviously, Spanish fans are really passionate about Formula One, uh, and I think that passion is going to be reignited with uh, uh, Fernando Alonso rejoining the sport next year. Any predictions heading into this race weekend? I, I think Gil's right that tire management and tire strategy is going to be critical in a way that we probably didn't anticipate going into the past couple of weeks. But your your thoughts, your predictions going into Spain? Um, I'm going to predict Alex Alvin's first podium. Please let it happen. Wow. Please let it happen. I'm, I honestly don't <laughs> wow. want to jinx it, but please, come on, Alex. I know you can do it. And I think... If it's going to be a bad track for Mercedes again with their overheating, I think it will be a great opportunity for the Red Bull to come up and steal some points away from them. So I think it will be a good opportunity whether he's able to capitalize on it. Who knows? But yeah, that's my prediction. Oh, you, you better get your uh, your magic lamp and rub rub it pretty hard for that genie to yeah, come out. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. You know, it, it's funny. We, we've all been... And I don't want to suggest dismissive, but I, I think the sport and the fans have been pretty critical of Albon this year. Uh, obviously, that 13th place finish in Austria, there were some mitigating circumstances there. But a fourth place in the Styrian Grand Prix, fifth place in Hungary, eighth place last weekend, which wasn't a great result. But back into the top five once again this weekend, they haven't been fundamentally broken results. Like the momentum's there. He's showing some really good racecraft. I, I think I think psychologically he's moved past that contact that he had with Hamilton in the first race weekend. He looked really, really combative in the last half of the race yesterday. Um, he looked very, very aggressive. He had some great moves. He not only got past Stroll towards the end of the race, but he put three seconds between him and Stroll, which was really, really impressive as he hunted down uh, a better race classification. But yeah, my, my prediction would be if Mercedes can figure out this tire strategy, I, I don't see any reason why Hamilton couldn't win. But Ultimately, I also wouldn't be surprised if we saw Max Verstappen on the podium. And I would kind of like to see Albon because I feel this poor kid's probably feeling pretty beaten down in that organization right now. And I think it would be a, a really, really great emotional boost for him to be able to celebrate a podium that he's for so long deserved. But every time he's been close, something's come and kind of stolen that opportunity away from him. With that... Did you say something or, or Hamilton? <laughs> It, it, yeah, it's always that it's always that contact with Hamilton. So we'll see. But again, it's going to be a scorching hot racetrack. The air temperature is going to be hot. The track temperature is going to be absolutely absurd. We don't necessarily know what Pirelli is going to be bringing in terms of compounds this race weekend. We should know pretty quickly. We should probably know a, a little bit more about the racing point drama uh, and the circumstances around the uh renewed complaints about the outcome of the FIA investigation. Uh, so a lot of things will become a little bit clearer later this week. Steph, give you the last word. Anything anything else before we sign off today? Nope, I'm all good. Okay. Gil, how do we sign off these podcasts, my friend? Again, we say peace, so get getting Steph back into this one. Yep, I'm ready. Uh, I guess we'll, uh, we'll, we'll sign off. Three, two, one. Peace! peace. for joining us you have been a great audience this is sarah signing off at flash f1 with gil mark and steph